0: Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Joseph Fordham and this is NPLH in Conversation with the football podcast that isn't about football brought to you by NPLH Studio. NPLH is more than a podcast. Once you've hit the follow button, visit nplhmag.com to enjoy online reads, subscribe to our newsletter and browse our collection of magazines, prints and apparel. On to the show. Hello. I'm Joe Fordham and you're listening to NPLH In Conversation With, the podcast where I speak to interesting and influential people from within the football landscape, in my opinion anyway. In this episode, I catch up with Australian photographer Alexander Jason, whom some of you may know from social media as That Football Photog. Among other things, we discuss Alexander's early steps into photography.
1: Back then, it was more the getting enough money to buy you know a new new roll of film or um just making enough money to be able to afford the latest gear to you know stay up to date and just get creative
0: and one of the more difficult yet fundamental factors in building a successful career behind the lens
1: not everything's possible without sacrificing my wife was pregnant and i said to her i'm like these are these are big jobs for me you know like that's over two and a half months that i had to sacrifice from being a husband and being a dad to my you know one-year-old
0: alexander talks us through a career trajectory that has taken him from the music scene of melbourne to the touchlines of a world cup and what it takes to stay there i hope you enjoy Can you hear me Yeah got you
1: oh, sorry about that I'm in a bit of a dungeon situation here because I've been kicked out of the house and now I'm in the, <laughs> my little studio that I built because my uh, my little one took over my studio room and turned
0: into her bedroom <laughs> so you're, what, what sort of space are you in now then you've got so you've got an extension you say
1: yeah, yeah I, built, I built a little studio yeah it's a bit of a mess but um, but yeah, it's a little room that I built and I've, uh, I've used, what do you call it, materials that you make fridges out of, so it gets fucking hot in summer <laughs> and fucking cold in winter.
0: Brilliant. You've made yourself a greenhouse, mate. Well done.
1: The best part about this room is everything's magnetic, so I can just connect lights on the wall. <laughs> I'm ready when you are. I know it's a bit of a delay, so forgive me. I'll listen, and then I'll say
0: things. Nice one. So whereabouts are you now, mate? You're in Melbourne, yeah?
1: Yeah, I'm down in Melbourne. Um summer it's it's epic it's it was 38 degrees last night so let's just say we're stinking hot down here yeah rub that in well last time i was in london there was 36 i think
0: it was last july last june oh you were here in the summer
1: yeah because i was working with um kits in portugal doing uh the porto the porto stuff for the campaign that we shot
0: yeah you came at a good time that was like a long long summer a real treat for us we don't get too many of those
1: nah. Now it's pretty good, though
0: I'd started making notes for this and doing a bit of prep, and then I decided to just scrap that and um I guess wing it a little bit really, and just try and get to know you a little bit. I know we first spoke like back in twenty eighteen I think for the first time when I first started n p l h mag yeah, that was a long time ago yeah, and then um I guess life gets in the way a little bit, and then you spoke with Alexis. for for the piece that we featured in issue seven and uh and they, i guess yeah there's been so i I basically yeah even though i've been following your work for years and we've had very minimal contact i don't i don't know anything about you other than that you're a photographer from australia so it'd be good to just get to know a bit more behind that really if that's good for you yeah that's
1: that's good i'm keen Uh, i like talking and so let's, uh, let's see how much I can talk about myself.
0: <laughs> Challenge accepted. So yeah, I, even though I know very little about you, I do know we've got a few things in common, other than we're both obviously male and like football. Uh, you're a photographer. And uh, I spent a few years doing that myself. And that came after, like a, I guess, an interest that started in my teens when i was given a disposable camera on one of my birthdays and that tied in with like a fascination of capturing moments and an inherent feeling of nostalgia that i have running through me i guess Um, so i guess yeah when when did you find photography and what did that look like
1: my story is not as romantic i think um i wasn't very fortunate to have I think most kids don't have the, the the ability to get camera gear. Many years ago, I feel like now it's pretty easy with technology being so accessible. You know, you can use your phone to edit and upload. I feel like, and again, this is not me crying. You know, being different generation, but you know, I used to work in the music industry, go to festivals, and that you have to go all the way to home to edit photos and upload them because even laptops back then. In the early 2000s they didn't really have access to you know the portability of getting online straight away i think now you can just airdrop your photos and upload them online and you can make a portfolio within seconds so for me it was pretty much yeah a little camera that i got myself um i was never getting any sort of gigs in the music industry so started my magazine I got into festivals, got into music gigs, went on tours with bands. And then, yeah, along came football that was sort of accessible on the weekends, going to local Sunday league games. And then around 2015, yeah, everything happened. That's when everything kicked off.
0: So what was the initial interest in photography in the first place?
1: (laughs) I think um, I remember one thing I told my art teacher in uh, 2009 when I was in high school. I'm not sure how everyone listened to this in their sort of education system, but here the last year is year 12 before you go to university or a higher education that you choose. And I remember my teacher, Mr. Teo, I remember his name and everything, but he said to me, um, photography won't uh, become a profitable thing for you in life and it's a waste of time. And I laughed, I remember laughing at him and saying to him, you know, just just watch me. And, uh, yeah, I wish I could find him. I don't know if he's still around or if he's still on this planet, but I kind of wish he's been watching my success from from his end. So, yeah, I'll, I'll always remember his words and doubting me that photography is ever going to become profitable.
0: It's a great idea for a spin-off series there, tracking down that old high school teacher. Sorry, I'm sitting a cat. I'm house-sitting. <laughs> And this cat has come nowhere near me all day. And the minute I start talking, it's
1: from my voice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: from my voice. It's for my voice. That's all right. Let, 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 let the cat be. It's all good.
0: So, right, you've got that initial. So, that's where. So, we're going back to high school, and you've got the maybe like a spurred on by uh, a non believing high school teacher to go out and prove, prove him wrong, perhaps, and follow this, this passion so then you go out and where you find yourself a little bit of gear and start shooting festivals did you say like the music scene how
1: did it all start um start a little alias name i love having different names for my portfolio so people if they wanted to find my work they will find one of them one of many and it's almost like a banksy situation where it's like people don't know who the person was, so that was my sort of obsession with photography, where the internet just started off being like a big blog thing. So Tumblr was a mass- massive, um, portfolio building website, and I started this little fake name called Adam Not Eve as a bit of a club scene. Uh, that's when like the whole indie scene kicked off. So block party falls. Um, Bombay Bicycle Club. So it was all that little indie hipster scene. I would go on tour with bands that they used to tour with um, in Australia. So that got me really into the mix with um, clients and agencies. Uh, I saw a pathway. I thought to myself, you know, if this is possible, then let's push it. And then, yeah, along came football. I, I always love football, it's part of my family, part of my DNA. But I think every photographer knows back in the days there's no money in the music scene, so I thought, why not check out football and see if I can make a job out of this? um It took a while, but you know doing sunday Sunday shifts and weekend shifts, trying to get money to save up gear, you know sports isn't as cheap as uh music photography. you need the big lenses, as everyone says, those white lenses, and um yeah, had to borrow lenses, had to do this. Got that big white lens, the seventy two hundred, 200 and uh, started shooting Sunday League games. And from then, yeah, Instagram. I think Instagram started around 2009. One of my aliases, my travel page, Alexander Jason, uh, got featured on Instagram back then. So I went from zero followers to 200,000 followers. I was like one of the first sort of people to get a big following. Um, started getting all this influencer stuff, traveling uh, the football page, that that football talk started. kind of really regret that name these days. I feel a bit embarrassed, but I feel like that's just part of my history now. Um, and then, yeah, that football talk started getting busy, and Melbourne City, one of the city football clubs, um, just became a club because they bought out Melbourne Heart, the team I was supporting. And around 2015, one of their media team, his name is Julius, reached out to me and said, hey, how would you like to work for the club? And I was like, yeah, let's start this. So 2015 started. And then the whole football journey started. So, what? Well, it's been, yeah, almost 10 years at the club. So, this is 2013. So, yeah, about eight or so years working with City Football Club.
0: Wow. That's, the, that's quite a trajectory. Yeah. What, what did the early days doing the Sunday League look like? Like, what? So, you just traipsing around just the Mel- Melbourne and Greater Melbourne area or Victoria wide?
1: Yeah, about that. Um, It's called the NPL down here, National Premier League. Uh, It's just like a sort of local league in each state or like province. I'm not sure what you guys in the UK or whoever's listening to this. So it's like a little region. Australia being so big, it's really vast. So, you know, Melbourne and Victoria's got their own situation and this country part. So I was doing the Melbourne. My brother was playing at the sort of elite level for the youth here. Um, still playing football so I still go to his games but these days I'm more focused on uh, the, the big games than the local games I do love going to my locals now it's just not as uh, enticing because I feel like this, Australia's going a bit backwards for their local game so at, at the time uh it was really enjoyable just to get down there and build a portfolio and I tell a lot of young kids who want to get into the game you can't just go to the top straight away when it comes to photography like go you know battle it out do some local hard yards that's that's probably the hardest thing these days everyone with a camera now thinks they can go to the biggest game and start a portfolio it's almost like you know create your portfolio first you know make a make a an art or a style that is you rather than going and shooting the biggest names because again We'll talk about this later. Maybe ask me in a few in a few minutes what my white wall theory is, and then I'll explain what I'm saying. What I'm saying right now,
0: I'm gonna have to write white wall theory down because I'm getting on, and I'll forget that in five minutes.
1: Yeah, my good mate PFC Paul has this uh, thing about me. He calls me the modern day philosopher. So yeah, I've got a few philosophies and uh, things that I've made up theories that I'm like. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I'm more like. Um, a photography, like theory guy, where it's like things happen for a reason type of thing. It's like ai uh, how I'm gonna say this. It's like my way of understanding how things work.
0: Is that something you take out into the wider world, or just in your profession?
1: Oh my friends and I have it. So my other one's called the Ice Cream Man Theory. So it's like if you run a business sort of thing. So don't feel guilty about not making profit or making profit because the what the Ice Cream Man Theory. So, again, if you want to ask me later, go ahead. It's pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> we'll go for that, mate. That sounds like it'll really uh, take this off on a different direction. Can you remember your first game that you shot?
1: Yeah, it would be a local team called Northcote City, a um, little small Greek club down here in Melbourne. Um, all I remember was that it was raining, so that was pretty good. My first big game would be for Melbourne Heart, and I remember this Italian import can't say his surname, but his first name's Adrian, and um he scored this amazing goal, and yeah, he just celebrated right in front of me and that was the first time I got in I fell in love with sort of the bigger the big games, and then I think the first international sort of moment would be Real Madrid versus Man City down here in Melbourne, so it took me a few years, and that's the hardest part about being in Australia. you don't really have these big names to shoot, so you have to wait for them to come to your, to your home to sort of have um, that one-on-one moment with the big stars.
0: Did you find it quite a leap going from like music photography to live sports or do you kind of honed that uh, those years doing that, prepared you well for that?
1: I say to a lot of young kids, uh, the, the best part about photography or just in the art game is you need to know how to talk. You need to know how to um, create a way that your identity is noticeable. Uh, I say work on your DNA of who you are. I think people need to know what you offer without you even offering it. So don't work on this whole hey, hire me, hey, hire me. It's more like this is my portfolio, people come find me type of thing so people know what your work is. And I think moving from music to sports, music had that scene where you can get creative and people could be like, oh, my God, this is that person's work. That was always what I loved about having no name. It's like a people can tell your work without even knowing it's you. Moving into sports, I think the biggest dilemma and the biggest hurdle for me was the camera gear. Um, one lens as you would know you know the 400 mil that i've got now is 16 gram brand new sixteen thousand dollars a strain so if i think pound will probably be like nine i think maybe no maybe eight or nine um so it's pretty expensive i think that's the hardest part about sports is that no one can afford it
0: okay so i guess the pool of competition is a little bit smaller if you can get the money together to get that kit on side
1: I wouldn't say competition but i would say because i think if you're a budding photographer and just got a lens you can just shoot anything and if you have social media now and you know how to post you can just become an instant internet sensation with overnight these days
0: how do you think that you would um i mean you got in at the early say got in so that's kind of un- undermining mm. what you do but <laughs> That's why. If, how do you feel you would fare <laughs> now? Like, are, are you kind of grateful that you were starting out on your journey just as social media was growing rather than coming into it now and maybe being like, you know, one of millions out there, you know, fighting for all that attention?
1: I was pretty lucky and fortunate because I got to bear the fruits of the internet. That was the early days. You know, as you would say these days, influencers are pretty. Um, mediocre in the sense and they're really shunned upon. But back in the days, I think twenty two thousand and nine, two thousand and eleven, twenty twelve, I did some amazing things. Even twenty seventeen, um, you know, I got to go I got all expenses paid trip to Africa, went to Kenya and Tanzania, did a whole thing there for social media. Like just go document for the for this company. Um, you know, uh went to New Zealand, everything paid for, uh amazing amount of Uh, holidays and trips and uh gear like got features and across different pages that's when you know social media really wanted to like collaborate i think these days it's really hard but i think for me starting my portfolio really early got me noticed by some people like yourself i think soccer bible um and just yeah magazines across the world these days it's a bit harder because I feel like there is competition and I think everyone just wants to be famous now while back then it was just you doing your thing. So for me, I feel like I'm really privileged to have started back then because it gave me a sort of level minded uh, approach to my job. I think now everyone just wants to be that sort of social media photographer that gets all the stars and posts it on the Instagram so they can get a following. I think that everyone chases that big picture of being the most liked and most followed account for well, back then it just happened and you just didn't know what the hell you're doing so it was like running into the headlights and being like well can, you can swear in this yeah i can say fuck
0: <laughs> yeah mate go go for it i'll just put the pound in the jar over this side
1: i think it's more like you're just running into the headlights and being like well fuck
0: it uh, i know i'm darting back and forward a little bit with this uh this timeline but you've made the transition from uh, music to to sports and you're carving out this preferred pathway. Um what what pressure or what pressures were involved once um it wasn't just for you and it was for a living.
1: I think that's the guilt that comes into play as a creative person. You wanna make sure that you uh can live off it. And I think the hardest part now is I got two girls in my life. And um and my my wife so three girls sorry she's gonna kill me if she hears that I got three girls in my life and um like now it's that guilt of making enough money to feed the family and pay the expensive bills um it's not it's not cheap living these days I always make this joke online but cucumbers are so expensive now so it's like I gotta afford the cucumbers you know cucumbers are amazing with a bit of salt but back then back then it was more the getting enough money to buy you know a new new roll of film or um, just making enough money to be able to afford the latest gear to you know stay up to date and just get creative and i think uh, transitioning into that sort of ar- arty kid to making a business it's like you want to make sure people know that you're worthy because yeah you're getting all these clients so when you start working for the bigger people even now at the age of 30 when people say to me oh, we'll pay you this much for this job. And I'm like, oh, sick, that's that's enough money. And then you hear what the actual um, price that people get paid and they're younger than you for the same job. You're like, Jesus, am I undercharging people? And it's like you just never know. And I think it's the hardest part about any art scene. You just never know how much you're meant to be get, get, getting paid. You just Sometimes you just work with a dodgiest client. So that's probably a nice little advice to young kids um, who are starting this job or even anyone at any age is like, Know how much you're worth and know how much to offer.
0: Have you always been confident? I mean, going into this this line of work, um, you obviously, and then and then charging for it and charging what you feel you're worth for it or what you need for it. There's got to be a degree of self confidence in there. Is that something that comes naturally to you, or that's built up uh, as you've developed your body of work and your style?
1: Yeah. Confidence is something you know, I would say that that just became a part of my life naturally. I think uh, it's just more knowing how to uh, talk the talk. I think that's what helped me the most. I think understanding where to uh, know what to say to clients, know how to say things to clients, and get to that point of like negotiating, but also knowing how to talk about yourself, knowing how to sell. The image and the understanding of who you are. Um, even now, I would say a bigger topic to learn as a person is knowing how to sacrifice or what to sacrifice in life, because not everything's possible without sacrificing. Um, you know, going to Qatar last year, going to Thailand for work, and even going to Portugal. My wife was pregnant and. I said to her, I'm like, these are, these are big jobs for me, you know, like going to the Champions League, Asian Champions League with Melbourne City. That was a whole month in Thailand. Um, going to Qatar with the soccer That was a whole month in Qatar. And then doing a whole week shoot with Cole Kids for, for New Balance. That was a whole week in, in Portugal. So that's over two and a half months that I had to sacrifice from being a husband and being a dad to my, you know, one year old. And I had to sacrifice that precious time to be there to do the job that i'm doing so it's like knowing when to sacrifice and how to sacrifice because i could have sacrificed my whole marriage for that and you know we're still together and i love that and she's a photographer as well so she's she understands sacrificing uh sacrificing things but um yeah it's just tough knowing what to do and when to do it so that's that's probably another thing
0: it's really interesting so there's some internal conflict despite the fact that you're You know you you're in what i would consider a dream job you know if i if i was a little boy again it would be doing what you're doing but it comes at it comes at a cost it's really interesting that you bring that up um so there's internal conflict there when you're taking on these jobs does that kind of impact your enjoyment of them in any way when you're out there
1: (laughs) Yeah, my wife better not listen to this. Um, but yeah, she called me every like every day when I was in Qatar, <laughs> and I was like, "It's hey, okay, I'm like I'm coming home." But it's tough because she was pregnant. If she wasn't pregnant, she would be totally fine. She'd be running amok. Um, she's a, she, she's a pretty amazing person. So she's confident. So it was pretty good to you know have that confidence back home. But I would say like the biggest eye opener for me in this scene is going around. To different jobs, even game days, and just seeing how many like, and this is probably the, the, the demographic of photography. It's like the big sports scene, even music scene. It's almost all like these single, divorced white men. And I wouldn't say I'm a person of any sort of ethnicity. Yes, I'm a European background that's moved to Australia, but Australia's pretty white these days, and it's disappointing to see how backwards we are when it comes to diversity. But even now, we're sort of getting there, and I think I would say. I'm a pretty open-minded guy but it's just it's annoying to see going to games even to walk up sometimes and it's just always these white divorced men and talking so negatively about their life and how you know they're doing these things because they're single and doing these things because they're divorced and I'm like that's that's a shit way of living it's a shit way of speaking and I really hope that in a couple of years time that not, not even a couple of years. I feel like now it's a time to change. Like, I try to open up and tell people, I'm like, you know, if you're going to do things in life, make sure you do it. And if you've got a partner in life, make sure you, like, you know, you're there to support them. Like they're, so they're, they're sacrificing things for you and you're sacrificing things for them, you know, work together. So that's, it's funny because every time I speak to some sort of Getty photographer, they're always a single white guy that's divorced with 10 kids back home and they don't give two shits about their families. And I'm like, you're living your life here and you're not even caring about their lives. And that pisses me off so much, I reckon.
0: Because, yeah, you're making those sacrifices to be away from people that you care deeply about, I guess.
1: Yeah, like I, I would do anything to be with my wife, but also I would do anything to be there, live in the job.
0: Yeah, and the, and the job maintains your family as well. So it's, you know, it's, there's a, it's, a, it's a give and take thing, isn't it, I guess. What sort of photography does your wife do?
1: Um, we both started doing like sort of weddings together. That was pretty good. I still do weddings now. It's, uh, that's, that, that's how I make my money. That's how the uh, def- allows me to do all the fun stuff. Um, but the wife she now is into families and sort of just you know the lovey dovey stuff, where it's like kids and stuff like in her studio. So it's always good. She's a really creative person. So she she also started Instagram when we started dating in the early two thousands. So she jumped onto that game, sort of internet game with me. So she was pretty lucky, and she's become. Pretty much successful when it comes to her identity and brands always reach out to her, so she's a pretty switched-on person. It's comp it's competitive. Even 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 though even though she's my wife and I'm her husband there's still that competition of uh, who's got the bigger sort of job that month in in that sense. And I, sometimes I feel like at the start of the relationship it was pretty stressful for her because it was a bit competition, and I didn't and I never saw that. I always wanted to help her, but yeah, I always say the story, but she's she She sold me a lens once because she wanted to sell the lens to me, and I was like "I thought, sorry around. I sold a lens to her and I was like, "We're dating. Why are you buying a lens off me?" She goes, "I want to buy it because it's my job and I want to make sure that I'm doing this whole thing correctly other than just like taking the benefits of your um your sort of bearings and I'm like." what's mine is yours she goes no nah, i want i want to own something so even that in a relationship was important to know that she wanted to work hard for something that she wanted
0: that's pretty that's pretty cool uh, like yes independence and um knowing that she's achieved it off of her own back i guess yeah um,
1: yeah
0: rewinding slightly when you get the call from melbourne and they offer you the job as club photographer how does that feel
1: I always tell the story to people, but I remember I was at Bondi beach. I was sitting, I was sitting on the, on the gutter just, uh, during a photo shoot and I was having a break and I was eating a nice of lucky just sit there, just smashing nice chicken, bit of lamb, bit of, uh, bit of garlic, onion, and then getting a random call from an unknown number. And I was like, Oh, I better pick this up just to see what it is. I was expecting a call from a client and it was Julius from Melbourne city. And he's like, Hey, um, such and such, do you want to come down to training session this week? And I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds cool. And then, you know, hung up the call, s- screamed so loud in Bondi Beach. People thought something was happening. They saw, they saw, they saw me screaming, so I was like, okay, okay, like, sorry. And then, yeah, next week I went to the training session, and from training session, yeah, I'm still there.
0: Amazing. And uh, the um, I guess like the security that comes with that as a photographer – must be a, a blessing in some ways, especially as you're growing a family.
1: I think back then I didn't really have any idea where it was going to take me. I just thought, wow, I'm working for Melbourne City. It's crazy to see how far I've gone and the opportunities that it's opened for me. I would say that call changed my whole life because if I never got that job, I reckon I would have just been chasing, chasing something. And I think that opened up the world for me. And I always tell Julius, we're good friends now. Um, and I'm pretty fortunate to call him a friend, but like, yeah, if that wasn't for that moment, I don't know where I would be right now.
0: Phone calls can change lives. It's all the little moments, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it's funny because the client that I was working with at that time, the client was Subaru. So I was still doing good work back then. So I was working for a car company doing all the photos for them for ads and stuff. So it wasn't like I was in a bad situation. It was more like, I don't think I would ever be the person I am in a football game than a photography game. I reckon that would have taken me a whole different path, and I would end up being in a job or a life that I never wanted.
0: Has the job at Melbourne given you the, like the the freedom to explore and expand on your own style? Or it seems that way from what I from what I look at. Like they just kind of given you free range to to do what you do, and form a visual identity for that club.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that. What you just said then at the end. That is literally my that was my goal from day one. I said to the club back then, "I'm like, let me just do me and make a visual identity." I, I, I don't know; it's a bit of a a big bold statement for me to say, but you know, I think City back then, is, when the takeover happened, people were screaming, "Oh, you know, you got dirty money." You know, as as Man City copped it, it it's it sucks because you know, I am a United fan, and working for City always hurt. But now these days, I don't really care. Um, So I think when City gave me the job, I was like, they're putting food on my table. So I have this sort of appreciation. I always tell people that story of like being a red but working for the blue and the blue pays me to live my life. So it was good. Um, And I, I would say creating identity for the club was amazing, but I feel like the City Club, City Football Group, were the first people to hire an actual photographer in in the A-League in Australia. So that opened up the door to a lot of other photographers having that opportunity. So I wouldn't say I'm a sort of one of the first people to have a sort of internal job as a club photographer in Australia, but I would say that that moment really opened up the doors for many other people to get that job. I wouldn't say it was my sort of job, but I'm saying like as in the club saying we're going to take on a photographer to be in-house I reckon, change the minds of other clubs. So, yeah, I would say that I'm pretty lucky to be one of the first people in Australia to be an official football club photographer in the modern sort of era of the game.
0: Where do you begin? Like you go in on the first day and uh, like, is it overwhelming or do you just kind of have a picture in your mind and you just get amongst it?
1: It was the season after David Villa had signed and left after six games or I don't think five games. Um, that was pretty horrible, that whole ordeal. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, coming to training sessions, you just do your job. And I always, I always tell people, don't be a fanboy, just be a f- normal human. And I would say that's one way of treating athletes just as normal people. And it's a lot better because you don't – Again, again, like even these days now, you see a lot of people just doing the job because they're chasing for that big photo of a big face for the white wall theory, um, which we'll explain again in the future. But um, I feel like for me, it was just getting into there and creating images and just seeing Melbourne City post my photos. I was like, yeah, that's my work. And social media has changed so much from then to now. And I think these days, it's just natural. Okay, I just did training yesterday and I got training on Friday. So for me, it's just pretty much normal muscle memory. Being a part of the team
0: now. Let's touch on this white wall fairy now.
1: So, I have this theory that it's mainly social media, but even art scene, um, as a photographer, we work so hard on identity and just being uh, sort of noticed. We 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 like when people like our stuff, yeah. And I would say I noticed this sort of ongoing thing, even in today's world, where you could take two different photos of the same thing, yeah? So same, sorry, it's the same photo, two different people. So it's the white wall. That's the whole white wall there. It's a the white wall. You've got one light. You've got me in front of the camera, and then you've got, say, Michael Jordan. The photo of Michael Jordan will go viral, even though it's the same lighting setup, same wall, same camera, same everything, same photo, the white wall theory of having a familiar, like a sort of famous person will make your photo a hundred times better. And of course everyone knows that, but I always say, you know, a good photo of an of a, of a shit player in the A-League will not get as much as uh, attention as a shitty photo of Ronaldo playing in, playing in the Premier League, if that makes sense. It's like if you're a photographer on social media these days, you could become so viral and noticed and get so many jobs because you took a really shitty photo of a famous person. And then there's people out there working the hard yards in sort of like, you know, legal and uh, even like championship levels or anywhere in the world. There's photographers that are they got amazing artwork. You know, there's there's amazing people that you featured who have gone around the world and did a whole book about football in many places. And they will never get noticed because their work is more art rather than chasing the big faces. Now, I think that's a bit of a old man in me now. But I'll say that theory I always tell the people is like, no matter how hard you work, your work won't get noticed until you get that famous person in front of a white wall.
0: I guess that's that comes hand in hand with the struggle of the artist, isn't it? I I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And you mentioned photographers that we featured in the magazine over the years and it's it's almost criminal that every time at least somebody will say to me where did you find this photographer's work and I'm like I can't believe you haven't seen it already like it's, yeah, it's is, it's is a shame but it, it is that it's because it's art and I, they're taking the artistic approach to it and you do that yourself i guess you're just fortunate enough that you've mm. got the well, the career you've had gives you uh, a platform for more people to see that and it's led to wider recognition which took you to the world cup right
1: got there finally
0: so how did it come about working for the (laughs) soccer rose
1: it was a dream
0: is that was that an obvious link through melbourne
1: yeah i would say so i would say oh mate, like just just saying that i went to the world cup you know, I've actually got a box right in front of me that was given to me by the by the soccer So, I'm doing an episode. I still haven't finished it, but I've got the whole like investigation about how long it took me to get there. But it was a dream, and it's pretty funny that it was Qatar and it was it was at the age of 30. But I always said I'll get there, and um, yeah, I chased that I chased that dream for many years to to get a call from the soccer media team to say hey do you want to come to Qatar there was only July last year so it was only 6 months before it's not even 6 months it was like 5 months before the world cup even happened um so i didn't even know it was going but i knew at the start of the year last year i said to myself you know no matter what i'm going to Qatar this year and i'll find a way there so i was like i was just emailing people I was contacting people I was just like hey do you have any budget like I'd love to go there even if it was like a couple of games I'd like to make a book for you and no one was keen like you know everyone's got their photographers you know that's the hardest part now it's like anyone can be a photographer so you know you could take a you could take a motion blur and people be like wow social media art ah, wow fancy um and I think for me <laughs> I think for me I was just I was just chasing this dream of, you know, finding some sort of possibility. i work worked all my time and I never saw it as like a tap on the shoulder. I just was like, oh, well, this is my moment now. So I better make this happen. And, you know, it didn't hit me until I got there. And then I was like, oh, shit, I'm actually here. Like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a part of the national team. And I said to my wife, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I know you're due in a couple of weeks, but I got to go. And, like, she was she was due literally the day of the Argentina game that Australia played Argentina. So I missed out on that game, but I had to come back because she gave birth. Um, and, of course, that's a sacrifice we had to make. But, um, yeah, I would say it took me 15 years to get to where I was. So I was pretty fortunate. And I know people have been to two, three World Cups since, and I know, like, they're probably like, yay, I've shot three World Cups. But I think for me, I got to capture some amazing Australian moments. So I waited for my moment and I got it.
0: I guess this also is is proof that the cream does rise to the top. You know, you've you've mentioned that anyone anyone out there with access to even you know basic equipment can take photos and get get jobs now. But uh, when it comes to something like the World Cup, you can only imagine the amount of people that are. Making those kind of calls and trying to get those kind of link ups, and you're the one that's receiving a call to ask you to join them, so that's uh I guess like a massive shot of validation for your work isn't it?
1: yeah, because the other day I did this like little panel system talking about football shirts again this this side of the game this is a whole different. The, the The talking shirt stuff also opened up doors for me, and that's another thing we we'll can probably finish off on later, but like you yeah, know, I had this panel um for Nike it was just having me they asked me to talk to their team, the Nike team about football shirts and like my picture on it, and I was like, why am I talking about this like i'm I feel like a fraud, but when they introduce me to people, they're like, yeah, this is Alex' Uh, he went to Qatar with the Socceroos and he was the Socceroos photographer. And I was like, shit, that's real now. That actually hit me. But fun fact for you and the listeners, I actually modeled the the home jersey for our kit campaign. So when the kit went live for the World Cup, there I was alongside the the Socceroos and other social media people that uh, that represented Australia. So I was the photographer. And this was before I got the gig as the Socceroos photographer. So, yeah, to see myself up there in front of all Australians, promoting the jersey, again, it's pretty fucked up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hearing that out loud, this is the Socceroos photographer. Yeah, I guess it hits home then what you've done, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I, I never, it never hits me in a way that it's like, oh, shit, that's you. It hits me more like, what's next? Like, what can you do that's going to be bigger next? What, what can you do that's going to not valify, but like, uh, validify, but it's almost like, now it's sort of put this fear into me it's like i'm always someone that wants to do more so now my biggest fear and biggest goal is what can i do that's going to be bigger than what i just did
0: i think that's vital in the line of work you're in isn't it and i think that's something that i i didn't have in the like four or five years that i spent as a freelance photographer you definitely need a A competitive streak in you and whilst I would argue I do have that I think it comes out in people where they where where things matter to them yeah and maybe it just didn't matter enough to me there but it's um it's interesting so yeah you constantly have to be on your toes even with a gig as regular as being at Melbourne City you can't really rest on your laurels can you because if you ease up on that the club will want something else you you have to constantly be driving something forward offering something different and moving the needle not just for like their output but also for your career progression does that pressure kind of uh does it get on top of you at all or do you kind of just uh thrive on that
1: yeah the fear is there the fear the fear always gets me because it's like there's someone always on your tail now um there's always these creatives you know even in melbourne city you know when i can't do a game we've got backup photographers to come help but i feel like i'm someone who's always open-minded to work with others and get them a part of the team but then the second i open my arms up i feel like there's always that moment of getting stabbed in the back and then losing your job to someone that you've sort of mentored um You know, as they say, you know, like the the older photographers always get replaced, and I've been there for a very long time, and I'm not young anymore. Because when I started that job, I wasn't thirty. Now I'm thirty, so you know, I've got to demand prices to you know pay for my family. And there's kids who, like I said, have a camera gear, so they can easily just charge nothing and get a job. And I think that's always a challenge. Is that you know, you are up, coming up against younger people who don't really have the sacrifices that you're making. And you know, as much as I want to be working for the bigger people, I'm sure they've got budgets. And I'm sure you know, we come across a lot of people that are, you know, crooks in the game of the not paying for what they want. So, if you want to uh, stay valid but stay relevant, you know, you got to you got to understand like it is a it is a game for yourself, and you got to make the sacrifices. But you also got to take the punches and be a bit stronger and try to find a way that you know you don't lose that spot that you've got
0: yeah I guess you have to be quite like single-minded don't you quite ruthless in that respect so I guess would I be right in saying there's not many friends in in your line of work definitely not
1: definitely not
0: it's a lone wolf kind of situation
1: (laughs) yep no matter what you do there's always um there's always that you know know, friend or person that uh, that pretends to be a friend that's ready to take your job while you're you know hurt you know it's like that sort of running situation you could be up front you know taking the lead or leading the pack and then the second you fall over someone's going to take over you know um and I think that's that's not not just a fear of mine but it's like I know it's going to happen I know someone's gonna it's it's realistic to me I know that I'm going to you know, not lose the job but i have to move on from that job at city and i love that job but i know there's a time that's that's coming and when that comes i just hope there's uh something ready for me you know I hope i've worked hard enough to have a foundation to fall back
0: on would the relocation ever be on your radar for you and your family another league new experience in life
1: yeah i've told, I've told my wife i'm like the second someone offers me a job I'm moving overseas you know there's a kid that I work with or not work with sorry I studied with a year below me at university and um, he's now I think he's still at Wolves uh, Wolverhampton he just moved over there but again he was single so he could make that sacrifice um, I always said if, you know, if, if, if Man City, there's an amazing team there already, they wouldn't offer me a job, but if they ever needed a photographer, I'll take that job. But anyone in the Premier League, anyone in City are like a, a dream job would be to move overseas and work. But again, I don't know, like, could I sacrifice my whole family to move overseas? Um, That came out really wrong. I wouldn't sacrifice my family, but would I make the sacrifices to move my family. I got what you meant. Um <laughs> That would be better. Sorry, choice of words wasn't right then.
0: <laughs> I love you girls, but I've got to go. <laughs>
1: Bye. <laughs> um, but that that's the hardest part. Like, you know, the, the jobs haven't been coming. There's no one offering me a job overseas. And I probably haven't asked. So, yeah, look, you know, when May United came down, I met the photographers and I met the team. And I was like, fuck, you know, like, how can I get? How can I get that job? But then it's like that's the same situation as me because there's someone behind me saying, "How can I get that job?" So it's this circle. It's like you want that job, but there's someone in that position that's going to lose their job. So it's like, how do you make it respectful, and how do you make it? You know, like where do you see the line? Where is it like your job, and where are you taking someone else's job? That's just yeah, it's a weird thing. What the way? It's like consciousness of feeling guilty, but also happy.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting another one, it's like inner conflict comes back, isn't it? You wanna protect what you have so that you can have the I guess the security to pursue the next thing.
1: Yep. It is.
0: Which will ultimately be coming at the cost of someone else. You're the good guy and the bad guy all at once. Literally. So talking shirt, talk to me about that. How did this start?
1: Um sorry, like Everything photography related, you know. I've been fortunate enough to do everything I can and still have a lot of amazing things, you know. Uh, you know, brand wise has been always good. And I, I saw this sort of um saw this sort of opening because lockdown happened. Um, COVID happened, everything was happening around the world, people getting into lockdown twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, um, you know, had a lot of jobs that I couldn't do, and they just got cancelled and I was like, What am I doing? I need to find something that's to sort of keep me sane for two weeks. That's, that's what we thought lockdown would be, you know. We thought COVID would be two weeks. Um, and um, I was like, I'm, I'm going to start something that's going to keep me busy for two weeks. And then, um, yeah, lo and behold, it was a year, two years almost. Um, but Talking Shirt was, you know, as a young kid, I always dived into the whole YouTube thing. I was a massive fan, still am, in some ways, of people like the Sidemen. Um, I know UK culture for me is amazing. So... I would say like I was a massive fan of the UK scene, you know, KSI doing all this stuff with YouTube back then. And I think for me, you know, as an Aussie, we're so far away from the world. And it's, again, this whole picture of being so idolized and idolizing football from afar. You know, we love our game down here, but, you know, we're growing up. And I think when people say, oh, you can't be a United fan. You're from Australia. You're so far. You have no connection to the club. Or you can't be a Serie uh, A fan. You're not from Italy. you're You know, you're Australian. So it's like for me. I wanted to create this sort of thing of understanding online and it never worked out in FIFA because I was horrible at FIFA. I was just that guy that was just shit. I could never learn how to play the game. Um so I, I knew I knew how to talk I knew how to talk bullshit and I knew I knew how to uh find words and uh be confident in a way. So as you can see, I do a lot of research for each show. People think I just talk crap, but I do research. I I like fashion, I like I've always wanted I think the bigger talking show thing for me was like where can I be and who can I be in the next couple of years and I thought to myself I've always wanted to present I've always wanted to talk I've always wanted to be a host so it's crazy how like two and a half years ago before COVID even hit You know, I would never do these stand up things. And now I'm hosting Nike events. I'm doing football events and I'm hoping to do a lot more. You know, I'd like to be sort of an identity as I get older. So it's like I don't have to rely so much on doing the hard work behind the camera and I'd love to do more things in front of the camera. So I've got both the both the sides. Um, so talking shirt, just a YouTube thing, just sitting in a little room talking about football jerseys. And, um, let's just say the money that I've spent on some of these jerseys now has paid back tenfolds because I've spoken about him and people have paid me to do stuff for them. Um, I would say this also got me the job for the Socceroos. It's a bit of a circle here for you in a way that talk, um, I did one-on-one chats with every player every day in Qatar. So I had Timmy Cahill, Jackson Irvine. I had Mitchell Duke, like all these you know, the big athletes, that every Australian will be like, wow, you know, that's so cool. I've got to hang out with them one-on-one. So every morning in Qatar, we had a live cross, 7 a.m. over there in Qatar, 5 p.m. over here in Australia. So on everyone's phone, every Australian watching uh, their socceroos, like their, you know, it's like their moment watching the national team. It's me talking to them. And that is crazy for me to think that I've been working so hard, as a photographer, but to think that doing just nothing in front of a camera and learning how to talk got me a gig as well for the Socceroos. So it was almost like a two in one for them. They got a photographer that knows social media, and they got a person who knows how to talk. In some ways, I'm still learning how to be confident, but like it's always an everyday challenge.
0: Well, I can just hear the enthusiasm in your voice there and the the smile on your face through these pixels on this screen. That that. <laughs> like what that does for you you're clearly taking a lot from that you're clearly enjoying that so much and it's something you yeah you kind of uh you maybe never would have dipped your toe into unless the world forced you into a corner and i guess ultimately it comes maybe there's you know like your job is so um solitary in many ways and Maybe there's so much enthusiasm around this because you're sitting with these guys, you know, sitting with these athletes, and you're you're connecting for the first time. You're not you're not um, not hiding, so you're not hidden behind your camera, uh, waiting for the moment. You're you're actually connecting in real time with with another human being, and that's uh, maybe that's what brings out the the best in in all of us, isn't it? In some ways,
1: it's um, it's it's, it's pretty funny, like you know, just to think that little youtube thing got me also to a dream job and i would say like that's why i I tell to everyone i'm like if you want to do something in life do it don't be scared like we only have this sort of one pathway in life it's like you either do something or you don't and you regret your whole life so i'd rather do something and regret it than not do it at all um you know it's it's just it's just the way of living that i've always sort of taken on where it's like my father always used to say to me and he still says now he's like, Oh, I could have been this. I could have been that. And like, my dad's done amazing things in his life. You know, he's not sort of retired now, but he's, he did uh, politics when he was younger and, you know, that sort of opened my eyes into sort of different worlds. So when I was younger, I studied politics and I was like, Oh, I'll do this. And I was like, nah, it's not for me. Um, you know, I, I tried a few different things and I think photography I was like, this is my life. Um, and then doing YouTube during lockdown, I was like, hey, I'm gonna just try this and see how I go. People watch my videos and I'm like, why are you watching me? I'm horrible. Like, wh- why do you waste your life watching my videos? <laughs> um, and I don't know. Like, sometimes I sit here in my room, I'm recording with this camera, and I got all this setup that I've made. And I'm just like, why do I do it? Like, why? What? what what's the reason? Like, why do I lose two hours? So, uh, once a night, twice a night, just talking to a camera about a, a piece of cloth, and like someone's gonna watch it. And you know, sometimes I look at my social media and I'm like, why do you follow me? Like, it's just this sort of guilt. It's this um, what's that? What's the um, terminology? It's the imposter syndrome.
0: I get yeah, totally get you. yeah, and I can definitely relate to having suffered yeah. with that in many ways over the years.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I would say that was the biggest thing when I'm talking to these people, like sitting down with Timmy Cahill, who I've known because of Melbourne City beautiful guy um but sitting down with him next to me and talking to a, like YouTube I was like this is fucking Timmy Cahill right next to me like what do I ask him what would I talk to him and the fact like he shakes your hand says your name and people from the outside are like looking at him like an idol it's like almost I reckon one player that I wish I could I, I could speak to would be like Cantona and I reckon I'd, I'd be happy but um It's just one of those things. It's like to you, they're just friends, and like now, but to some people, they're just like these gods. And I think that's the pinching moment right there.
0: Yeah, it's uh, like you cross that line, don't you? Like you cross into a different world. The moment you're like you're not, um, you're not on the other side of the fence anymore. You're you're equals to them, and and you're collaborating with Tim Cahill in that moment. Over the years, like through your career, what would you say has been your your biggest learning about yourself
1: oh it's hard this question is like it's always hard but i feel like my main goal always is just to come come across as a good person and uh, that's like my, one of my main goals is um no matter how hard i try no matter how hard i work no matter you know what i do in life i don't want to come across as someone that's just chasing something i want to become i want to come across as someone who's done enough to open pathways for others I've always wanted to be someone that helps others into knowing that there's a possibility for them to do things. Uh, I want to. I always try to entice other people to say, you know, there's always, there's always a, there's always a way to be the person you want to be. There's always a way uh, to get the jobs you want. Um, And I would say, like I always say that to anyone, young or old, it's like, don't be scared to do what what you want to do.
0: Where do you think that that comes from? Like that, this uh, grasp of of this being, you know, you get one go around.
1: I, I would say that, and this is like again, people probably listen to this and be like, "Oh, read this and be like, um, you know, oh, you know, everyone's had hardship in their life, but you know, my dad, again, he's um, he had this situation where his business partner at the time put my, put my dad into a bit of uh, put him into a bit of a situation. Um, there was a lot of things lost in our in our families' lives, like just. Uh, financially so yeah we had to live a bit of hardship for a bit um sort of seeing how far low we can go in the sort of anxiety depression side of things i sort of you know when i got to my own level of you know getting to a certain age where i had to be independent um you know i saw that i need to do something for myself i can't just i don't know i've always been someone that's uh saw the positivity and just Pushing for more, like again, that the whole doing things for more, finding something in situations, and striving to be a better person, striving to do more, be more. It's just this sort of attraction to my to my life and to my um, to my understanding as a human being. It's just like I'm a really uh, open-minded person. I'm a really sort of. I feel like. Photography and being an artistic person also allows me to sort of see the bigger picture in smaller situations. I'm someone who likes to be able to open doors and hold the door for other people but also want to be able to sort of change something to allow others to have better lives. Um, So I feel like that just happened in a way that, you know, I was hurt at a young age um, in a way of like, the mindset and now sort of finding a way to open that mind up to others. I hope that my openness helps others to be open. Um, It's a a weird thing. I I would just say we all go through different things to make us the people we are. So I feel like I've gone through a pathway. I could be better. I could be worse. But I would say that I'm at a level that I feel confident at and the only way is up now.
0: Mate, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and learning more about your career, how you got there, uh, what it means to you, and a little bit more about you as a person as well. So I really appreciate you speaking to me, mate. And, uh, yeah, like I said earlier on, uh, from an outsider looking in, you really have got the the holy grail of jobs, and I congratulate you on that. And um, I know that, yeah, those kind of jobs come as a result of a lot of hard work and dedication and as you've touched on sacrifices so good on you mate and I look forward to seeing what comes next for you
1: thank you sorry, sorry for my horrible internet but um, I think the last thing I would say to anyone listening a young person is like I would say um, never give up and just keep doing you and uh, always strive to be a better person
0: nice one mate thank you I've got one more uh, one more question actually from a new podcaster to a seasoned pro purely to satisfy my ego how did I do
1: oh amazing you smashed it that was amazing
0: nice one mate all I need now is magnetised walls and I'm set yeah?
1: <laughs> yeah maybe an extra cat in there I think once, one's one sad too, I think you need two cats
0: <laughs> yeah I think or maybe one's too many cheers mate it was brilliant really appreciate the time
1: thank you anytime
0: thanks for listening and if you enjoyed that episode be sure to hit the follow button to ensure you never miss an episode or visit nplhmag.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we'll send you exclusive weekly long reads and up-to-date news on all print releases. See you next time. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to hit the follow button and I'll see you next time.